Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, the tastiest hour of talk in Music City. Now here's your host, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and we are powered by Gordon Food Service. Caroline Galson will be joining us shortly. We have a big show today. Really excited after this big weekend in Nashville, we are talking with Philip Krajek. Philip is the chef and owner at Rolf and Daughters, as well as Folk, which we do talk about how to pronounce that name in the show. This was a fun episode. I've wanted to talk to Philip for a really long time because I don't know a lot about him. You know, he's kind of a private guy doing research for this interview. I couldn't find any other interviews with him. He just really hasn't talked to a bunch of people. And we're honored that he decided to come in today and speak with us here at Nashville Restaurant Radio. If you are new to the show, we are a podcast where we are talking to local restaurant leaders, chefs, industry professionals, people that can help you operate a restaurant better. Or if you're a guest wanting to go eat at restaurants, we're giving you the history behind why you should eat at these restaurants like we do with Philip today. If you follow us on NashvilleRestaurantRadio.com, you can find us or you can follow us on Instagram at Nashville underscore restaurant underscore radio. I am at Brandon underscore NRR and Caroline is at Gals and Gal. Now, one thing that we do that's pretty fun around here is we like to do live interviews. So this interview, we recorded it live on our YouTube channel, which you can go to our YouTube channel right now and you can watch this interview as well. We next week have recording artist Montel Jordan from This Is How We Do It fame. And that episode right now is live on YouTube as well. We did that episode live. So if you were a follower, if you followed us on YouTube, you would get a notification when we went live and you could have joined these episodes. It's a new kind of channel. We're hoping to build it up a little bit. So go follow us, go subscribe to our YouTube channel and you'll be notified when we go live with our guests when we do it. So this is a fun episode today. Philip Krajic, we're really excited to bring this to you. Hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I know the restaurant world is gearing up for a really big weekend. So Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Philip Krajic right after these words from our sponsors. We have John Ho with Parks Realty, House Hospitality on Instagram, in studio to tell you why, as a restaurant worker, you can buy a home. John? Thank you, Brandon. There's three things that are fallacies when it comes to buying a home from the hospitality industry. Number one is that you need perfect credit. Number two is that you need tens of thousands of dollars for down payment. And number three is that you need two years of work history at the same place. John, you're a restaurant veteran, been in the industry a long time. How do you as a real estate agent overcome those three myths? The first thing we do is we pick a premier partner for lending, and that's Foundation Mortgage. Uh, they're going to be our first stop to get people pre-qualified in the hospitality industry. Number two, we understand that hospitality workers don't work nine to fives. So our phones are on 24 hours a day. Amazing. So if I wanted to call you, how do I do it? You can get me at my cell phone, shoot me a text, or give me a call. It's 615-483-0315, 615-483-0315, or Amanda Gardner at Foundation Mortgage, 865-230-1031, 865-230-1031. 
follow John on Instagram at Hospitality and follow Amanda on Instagram at Mortgage Amanda. Super excited today. This has been a long time coming for, for me. I've wanted to do this interview for a really long time. Philip Krajek. Hello. Did I say that correctly? You said it perfectly. Krajek, who is the chef and owner of Rolf and Daughters. And I want to say, it's funny because I'll say, if, I, if I'm pronouncing phonetically, I will say folk. But if I say these are my folks, there's two different ways to say this word. If I'm saying the word alone, I say folk, but I would introduce people as these are my folks. How do you say the name of your second restaurant? Folk. Okay, so it's folk. Yep, just it's folk. not folk. It's folk. I mean, potato, potato. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to make sure because we're not going to correct anybody. You're not going to correct, but it's folk. It is for me. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, and I would say yours is the correct one. It's your place, right? Did you come up with the name? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, it's not like, I mean, who cares? It's just a name. I mean, <laughs> honestly, that's how I feel about it. It's like, I don't care how people pronounce it. It's just about the content. I regularly get calls and emails for Nikki's Coal Fried, which I can't imagine what that would be, but that that's pretty common. Let's workshop that idea real Nikki's quick. Nikki's Coal Fried? So it's like okay, yeah. a coal fryer. Right, right. And what's the specialty? Do you I mean, heat the oil with coal? Is right. That yeah. Okay. In the is center that, of the restaurant. There's the like center. an element of danger and risk to it. I love that. What a, I mean, we've got a real idea here. Anytime. I feel like it's got to be fried chicken. That just feels like the right thing It's to on me. the sixth floor of the new concept downtown on Broadway that yes. Morgan Whalen's doing, I think. Yes. <laughs> Morgan Whalen. Yes, absolutely. I like that. It's like a, a Morgan Whalen. Mm-hmm. Philip, it's good to have you here, man. It's good to be here. I did a lot of research on you and I couldn't find, I mean, there, there's, there's so many conversations with you that are all centered around your restaurant, but I kind of want to learn today, like who you are, like, <clears throat> what are the things that make you tick? Like, where do you come from and why are you the way you are? Mm. And what is that? Wow. So there's, there's a long time. So where, where are you? Do originally? you have a sofa I can lay on? <laughs> yes. Um, where are you originally from? So I'm, I'm from a little bit of everywhere, and I think that's, you know, getting into why I am the way I am. Uh, my father was in the Air Force when I was really young. Uh, I was born in Germany. Like, our American home was Florida in the Panhandle. Um, my mother's Norwegian from Oslo, Norway. My parents met in London while my father was stationed there. Um yeah, and so later on in my father's career, he started working for NATO. NATO headquarters are in Brussels, Belgium. So essentially from fifth grade until graduating from high school, I lived in Brussels. Really? Full-time, yeah. Went to international school there. Um, yeah, learned how to speak French. Traveled a ton. You know, we lived in a small neighborhood at the last metro stop. And um, unbeknownst to me at the time, like, I was really into food, um, but it was just normal there. You know, my mom would, on a Saturday morning, send me down to go pick up some croissant and, you know, go to the farmer's market and, you know, pick up different things to cook. And um, 
We had a pate shop in our neighborhood, a butcher shop. We had a bakery. We had a patisserie. The farmer's market was every other day. So and you I didn't mean, grow up in like McDonald's, like most kids who are that age. No, like just but go to like fast food all the time. Your what, fast food was. What's twisted about it was like McDonald's was really, you know, that's what we wanted, but we weren't getting it. You know, like McDonald's became this really big treat. And so, um, yeah, I mean, fast food for me then was more like kebabs and euros and falafel at the like myriad of different shops that are all over every dense European city. I think the best meal I ever ate one day was in um, right outside of Amsterdam in um, Harlem. I'm mm-hmm. familiar with the town of Harlem outside of Amsterdam. And I had a darner kebab at like two o'clock in the morning. I've never been that high before. <laughs> right. Made and it that, extra delicious. Yeah, well, you can eat mushrooms there and do all this stuff. And we we were we were doing it. We got took the train ride back to Harlem. We're walking around Harlem and I got a Derner kebab and it was the best tasting thing I think I've ever had in my life. I had an experience kind of like that. There's this place in my neighborhood in Chicago that in my twenties I would go every night at like, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning after a long night of drinking and get this falafel sandwich that I was obsessed with. I'm like, my God, there's nothing more delicious than the falafel sandwich at Five Faces. And one day I was on my way to work. I needed something quick to eat. I'm like, you know what? I think I'm going to stop and get that falafel sandwich. It's it's so good. It was literally inedible. (laughs) Inedible (laughs) as a sober person. (laughs) I blew my mind. Anyway. I didn't mean to interrupt you. When you go back to those times, what's the food that you look at that you remember the most? Um... I mean, there's a few. Uh, my favorite, like, dish, we would go to one restaurant and get poulet frites, and it's, like, half a roast chicken. You get a little gravy boat with, like, uh, all the chicken drippings and mushrooms and a little cream, and then Belgian frites, which are the best in the world. And, uh, you know, that's it. It was perfect. That's the dish. That's the dish. If, if, there, if I had to pick one, but, I, you know, it's like there was a frite stand in the first neighborhood we lived in when I moved there that like my mom would cook dinner and make salad and cook protein, but you would always go out and buy frites from the shop and bring them home, and that's what everybody did. And there was one spot that just, like, to this day in my memory, and again, if I went back, it might be different, I wasn't drunk at the time, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's like the benchmark for me with like how good a freak can be or a French fry can be. And it's really fucking high. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So you're living in Belgium mm-hmm. and that was from, you say from fifth, five years old or fifth grade? From fifth grade to graduating high school. Yeah. Oh, um, they're a long time. Yeah, it's eight years. When, wow. when you graduated high school, did you was cooking something that you wanted to pursue at that time, or did you go to college? I didn't and- know. Um, you know, I was a little bit of like a uh, contrarian, and uh, you know, I I was a little like I was trying to do the things that I thought I was supposed to do, right? Yeah. Like your parental programming, but. Um, you know, so I said, okay, I'm going to go back to the States. I'm going to go to university um, and try to do the thing that I know I don't want to do. And mm-hmm. so, you know, needless to say, it didn't work. Where Where did you go to school? Uh, I went to school at Stetson University in Central Florida. So, like, in that moment, I went through a lot of culture shock 
even though like I'm American, I have an American passport, grew up visiting Florida and traveling all over the Midwest because my father's from Minnesota. Um, you know, like actually living in the place and living somewhere where there was like no food culture or <laughs> anything. That's like when I started to recognize, oh, like I like food and where is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I became interested in cooking and I started cooking for myself. I started to, you know, do some research into it and uh, eventually, you know, had like I'm skipping all the bad stuff here, but um you know, Why? like spoke of my family. <laughs> eh, it's no point. Um, but, you know, it's like uh, I talked to my family and I decided to go to hotel school in Europe. So I ended up going to Switzerland for two years to like study, work and do all that jazz. When you left Belgium to go back to America to go to college, essentially, I mean, what was that experience like? I mean, you have all your friends. These are such formative years. I mean, I think you kind of just grabbed that, but for formative years from fifth grade through high school, and then you're leaving all of your friends. To me, and, and you're pretty cultured at that point, right? Because it's, it's you're- different. I mean, when you're, um, you know, like the the reality that we are in, you're we had 36 nationalities in our graduating class, wow. right? So. Brussels is where the EU headquarters is. It's where NATO is based. Um, there's a bunch of, you know, international, corporate, European headquarters there. So you have people from all over. And a lot of times people live there for three years, five years. So, like, I'd kind of been used to, like, a little bit of churn in the people that you become friends with or go to school with in a way that's different from a person who grew up in one static place. Right? Gotcha with other people who just like grow up in a static place. So for me, like wasn't that big a deal. I also had some friends that were like going to Rollins college in Orlando, which was a 45 minute drive away. Um, so it just, you know, didn't feel like at, at that point in my life, I was like, you're super adaptable. And so I felt really comfortable adapting to, um, yeah, new situation life back in America, going to college. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That, that's just an interesting dynamic. I know that my sister lived in Europe for 11 years. No, 13 years she was in wow. Europe. She lived in, yeah. uh, her husband originally was in the army. And uh, I think it was the army. But she lived in Heidelberg, Germany. Yeah. And uh, Kaiserslautern after that. And I would go visit her. That's where we would go drive around. But her coming back was, she was like, I don't, this is really hard. I don't want to be back in America. Because she fell in love with the whole everything about well i feel like also coming from europe it would be one thing to come from europe and move to like new york or chicago or los angeles but central florida and and i i i I actually (laughs) am originally florida man (laughs) i i'm originally from not too far from pensacola so i'm familiar with the the panhandle culture um which is it's different it's it's definitely different well i think that begs the question why nashville there's probably a question you get asked a lot yeah, I mean, somewhere in the journey before I went to uh, hotel school, um, I spent a year and a half living in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, Which is a much cooler town than people give it credit for today. I mean, it is. I, there's more engineers there per capita, right, than Anywhere. any other city. What took you to Huntsville? Um, you know, I had family there, and I was a little bit like, I wasn't going to school, and I was just trying to figure it out. I needed a place to land Mm -hmm. while I was on my journey to, you know, figuring out that I wanted to cook. I actually met my wife there. Crazy. 
um, in Huntsville. In Huntsville, and but I used so I used to come to Nashville a lot. Like when I was young, I skateboarded a lot. Um, you know, I like to go to. I was really into like DJ culture, b boy culture, rave culture, and there were a lot of parties and things happening in Nashville at that time. In the like you know, whatever warehouse party scene. I used to go to raves at Marathon Motorworks before any of that. It was just an empty place. For sure, and yeah. You would go there and just go crazy. I've been to them there, cannery, you know, some weird abandoned tall building, fourth floor <laughs> that I don't remember. Um, and, uh, you know, I had friends here that are still here. And so I made some connections then. And then, you know, later on in my career, I cooked in the panhandle. Um, right. And whereabouts I was cooking on 30A. And so I, you know, you meet so many people from Nashville. Um, and so, yeah, that's like, that was another big part of the draw. I don't know if you want me to like talk more about that portion of it, but no, I mean, it's very interesting. General. I mean, I think that this is part of this one I'm talking about. I just want to learn you and, yeah and more about you i mean we can learn about your cooking style we go eat there if you want to learn about his cooking go eat at rolf sure. and daughters go to folk eat there but i want to know about just more yeah well so i mean as i, I talked about it like i was in the panhandle up until 2010 um and i became really close with quite a few people that were nashvillians and i would come up and visit um, the main one was really the Palmer family that owns Bloomsbury Farm. Yeah. And Lauren Teresa, and... Yep. Yeah. Teresa and Myron um, used to come to the restaurant that I was the chef at all the time. Which restaurant was it? Uh, Fish Out of Water. Fish Out of Water. Yeah. Is it still open? Uh, yeah, but it's... Where is it? It's in Watercolors on the Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's... Um, I've been there. Don't go. <laughs> don't go. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go. Yeah. It's I, really kind of transitioned into something else. Uh, like a touristy kind of place. Yeah, exactly. I, I will say, though, I do think that there are some kind of, there's a bit of an underrated, like, dining scene along the coast of Alabama and Florida. You know, the the access to fresh, sustainable seafood is unbelievable. And, and there are some really, really great places. Where, where should you go if you're down there? Because I know you probably go down there. We love Beauchamp's, like in yeah. Justin, mm. which sure. is fantastic. And they, they have, like, their own boat that they go out and catch right. their own fish and bring it back in. It's, I mean, my two, I have a couple of favorite spots, but, like, on 30A is Black Bear Bakery, which there are a few locations oh, now. The best. I know yeah, it, yeah. Phil McDonald, like, I cooked with him many moons ago. Um, and he worked, He ended up going to Brooklyn and worked for Andrew Tarlow at a bunch of Tarlow's different restaurants and came back and opened something that the area really needed and it's seasonal and it's awesome. It's like a line out the door every single day. Yeah, it's crazy busy. They're killing it. But the place I grew up going to is on Highway 20 north side of the bay called Nick's or like, you know, Nick's and the Sticks is what everybody would call it because mm-hmm. they put one on 30A, but it was never any good. And it's an old fish camp. And so... You had to you, you would try to go early. You eat at like four thirty five, you know, and it's like you order a dozen blue crabs on a cafeteria tray, mm. and you <laughs> drink favorite. pictures of Amberbach. I can't think of another place I've ever been and like drank pictures of Amberbach <laughs> other than there. Um, and it's incredible. It's just like fried shrimp, and there's Galaga in the corner, mm. and families eating. And I mean, we would go there as kids. So that's a place that. You know, is in that area that I I tell everybody to go check out. 
That's awesome. I I don't know that one. I'm going to add it to the list because we go yeah, to that area like, a good amount. There's also an Emerald Lagasse restaurant there in uh, Miramar that he actually lives there. And we have seen him on the line cooking or expediting did almost he, every time we've been there. Did he have a towel on his shoulder? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Uh, Tony would know. Tony sig- was much. signature? I feel like, yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, no, I, that and a couple other things. I'm not not an Emerald fan, but obviously like not the level that Tony is. So Tony got quite the thrill the first time we went there and he was there. But I, it's actually a really, really great restaurant. That's awesome. Yeah, Very it's cool. really cool. Anyway. So. Okay. Huntsville, you meet your wife, Anastasia mm-hmm. is her name? Yep. Anastasia, she's from Huntsville. And Huntsville's crazy because it's... She's not from Huntsville. She's not from Huntsville, yeah. but she was living there. We, the we had an interesting... Is she an engineer? No, her brother. <laughs> her brother's an electrical engineer who, that's why. Uh, she was spending some time there. Her, so her father's from Alabama, from Huntsville. And her mother's Greek. But she grew up with her mother in Greece. Um, and I think that's like, was our connection. Yeah. I don't think, I know. but Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good then you guys have children yeah we have two girls yep how old are they 25 and 23 25 and 23 mm-hmm. how long have y'all been married 26 years wow. 26 years on uh, may 19th wow nice what's the secret to a, a long marriage happy long marriage it's work you know yeah work maintenance yeah we're interviewing somebody tomorrow um montel jordan as in, this is how we do it. Amazing. That guy will be sitting in your chair tomorrow. And he and his wife, I just listened to a podcast with them, and they have this thing where they said divorce is off the table. That is not an option. They have decided divorce is off the table. It is not an option no matter what. Mm. And that's, they work through it. Infidelity, all the things, like they just work through it. That is not an option for them. Huh. I mean, I think there's, uh, that'll be an interesting conversation tomorrow. I'd like to hear more about that. She's, his wife, Kristen, will be here too. Oh, okay. Amazing. And it's going thought... to be very interesting. Wow. Can you, what time? <laughs> you want to come back? <laughs> no, I'm just going to, going to log in. They'll be here at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. But that, I just know that that's like kind of one of their secrets and this, that they just, that is, he's in, the, in that reference, he goes, do you know that they don't give pilots parachutes when you get on an airplane? Because that's too many options. Mm. He goes, oh, when you give yourself out in a relationship, there's, that's too many options. The option has to be you figure it out. You you build it together. And I thought that was just like a, wow, that's hardcore. Yeah, that, that's, that's intense. I'm like, it almost like, it's almost like to me, I'm like a rule breaker. I'm like, that sounds like a fucking dare. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, oh, really? That's off the table? Well, watch this shit. Like, I don't know. That's just to me. That's just me. Mm. Yeah. So, Phil, or <laughs> we'll get into that more tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, are either of your daughters following in your culinary footsteps at all? No, they're not. Interest? I mean, in, in some aspects, yes. They both worked at Rolf for four years each. Wow. What did they do there? Hosting, running, polishing, bar back. Um, and, you know, learn to kind of like appreciate food and cooking and how hard like dad works well. to yeah knowing <laughs> maintain knowing their how. lifestyle exactly well it um, sounds like attention to detail too i mean that's one of those things that you've got to focus on to do all those things sure exactly um but both girls are like very academically oriented 
Um, our eldest is in law school in New York right now. Wow. Um, the youngest is finishing up at Georgia Tech and has a tech job that she's going into. Both are very into food. You know, our uh, eldest what went did undergrad in Portland, Oregon, and um, you know she was part of a CSA buying seconds, right? And she's constantly calling me and you know talking about like what is she going to do with the twenty pounds of you know bruised sweet potatoes that she got, um, <laughs> and uh, you know and and she's like become a really great cook, and it's the same with our younger daughter Maya. Um, she's also cooking all the time and. You know, like I, I talked to her yesterday and, you know, she's like, oh, I just got to doing Pilates. I'm going to go make some miso soup and, and get on with my day. And I'm just like, oh, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> when I was her age, it was not like that. It's like, you I'm going to smoke a ball, eat some ramen. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Ramen. Yeah. That Maybe that was me. Like, <laughs> were you there? Because that sounds like what it was like. Yeah, it's fairly accurate. Yeah. <laughs> do you take them to Europe? Do you, do you, do you, is it important to you that they have... Yeah, they understand that side of your so, history. So something that um, a lot of Greek Americans do it is they send their kids to Greece for the summer to like live with the grandparents or family members, and we did that. Like essentially, as soon as we felt comfortable throwing them on a plane as an un- unaccompanied minor, um, we would just like do that, and they would stay with their grandmother um who owned a pastry shop cafe on the beach near the city where they grew up and so they would help out a little bit they would they were like really immersed in the culture they speak greek my uh, mother-in-law's like the best home cook i've ever experienced in my entire life she's pickling fermenting preserving like i've been on a car ride with her from Thessaloniki, which is the second largest city in the north, to Athens on a side road. And she would see a, a, someone's yard with a lemon tree in it. And the lemons are overripe and falling off the tree. And she'll, like, hop out of the car and start grabbing the lemons. <laughs> you know. Does she knock on the door? She's like, no, no, like absolutely not. <laughs> no. And they might come out and yell at her. And she's like, no, 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 I'm going to yell at you because you should have picked these. And you don't deserve them. So I'm going to take them oh and preserve God. them. I mean, she's like... She's next level. And I'm actually going to see her in three weeks. So we're, we're going to be in Greece. Um, and that's what I'm looking forward to is like there it's, you know, it's not about restaurant food. It's about home cooking. And everyone, you know, has their small little multi-generational like olive grove where they take their olives to the communal mill or they, you know, brine their own olives. They preserve their own grape leaves. They, they do so many different things. And so, um, yeah, it's always that. I find that to be su- very inspiring. I th- I think you take that inspiration, and I, I love this statement. I think Andy Little said this one day, but he said um, just there's a respect for food. He goes, look, if you take a potato and you grow a potato and you go water it every day for three, six weeks or however long it takes to have a potato – and you grow it, and then you pull that thing out of the dirt, and you did that, you respect the shit. You, you do different things with that potato than what you would do if you buy a, a sack of potatoes. And I think that's kind of the idea around those lemons, right? You see those lemons? This is one of God's gifts, this beautiful ripe lemon. I'm not going to let it go to waste. 
And I think that you incorporate a lot of that in what you do at Rolf. You're talking about harvesting full animals and respecting local products, seasonal items at the peak of their freshness. Let's use them, but let's use all of it. Is that, you say it inspired you. Is that part of the yeah, inspiration for Rolf? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think, you know, whenever you're opening a restaurant or doing something, and Caroline, I'm sure you run across this, it's people are like, oh, what are you doing? Like, how do you put it in a box? And I, I really didn't know how to do that. Um, but I think we call that like modern peasant food. And uh, it's the most accurate description, even though it's completely inaccurate. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, I think the peasant part of it is the respect for the something in its entirety, right? Yeah. And trying not to waste any of it. You're not just using the tenderloin. You're using exactly, the whole, whole and that's animal. how the like food culture has evolved for thousands and thousands of years, and obviously we've become disconnected from it. And then, um, you know, I think as chefs, we're stewards of, you know, like continuing these ideas and pushing them forward and evolving them, and so um, it's a really strong anchor for what we do. So, you know, like using every part of an animal, preserving some of it, you know, pickling, terrining, fermenting, whatever's involved with it, and the same with vegetables. Also using that to create um, a larder of seasoning to create depth in your food. And not because it's cool or trendy, um, but because it just like makes sense as a someone who's a professional chooses to do this as a professional um, and has like a lot of passion and care and intention in the work. Are you, are you someone who's cooking a lot at home as well? Yeah. What, for sure. what are you cooking? So you do. When, what are you cooking when you're at home? Uh, I mean, I roast a lot of chicken because <laughs> it's easy, you know, and I buy, um, I buy a lot of uh, chickens from our, you know, guy Sam Yoder at Jolly Barnyard and throw them in the freezer and they're always around. I don't know. I, it depends. I cook a lot of Southeast Asian food. I cook a lot of Japanese food. Uh, in the summertime, it's just like tons of vegetable dishes. It's really, it really just depends on, um, you know, what the moment is. But uh, we love, like, you know, we have friends over all the time. I go over to, you know, I was at a buddy's house on Sunday and we just hung out out in Fairview and, you know, made a bunch of, made a bunch of Thai food, you know, and like just chilled out. So yeah, as whatever, whatever's interesting or whatever I'm craving, you know, what's your favorite place to go out in town that does that style Japanese style food? (sighs) Hmm. I mean, I'm anywhere that does it really well. I love kisser, you know, it's new, brand new. Brand new, but it's very close to my house. And uh, Brian and Lena are incredibly talented, wonderful people. And the food's great. And it's open for lunch. And I, like, you know, it's, I just, it's clean, delicious. Yeah, it's just like everything I want in that style. So if you're cooking Japanese-style food, you're eating Thai food, the friends, your daughter's making miso... Is there going to be a concept coming in the future for no. you? No. Is that I, your ne- are you practicing at no, home for a future restaurant? No, no. I, I feel like that would be disingenuous if I was, like, trying to do something that, like, I hadn't professionally worked in. 
um, or I'm not connected to in, through the journey of like my existence. It's only something that I enjoy eating and, um, you know, through cooking for 20 plus years, you learn a decent bit about how to do a thing or two. And, you know, like as cooks, we all love that food and staff meal is a really easy way that we've like taught ourselves a lot throughout the years. And, um, yeah, so no, definitely not going to do that. So we, we know that you do have a new project that you're working on. You know, I'd love to hear one, anything that you can tell us about that. I know it's probably still pretty under wraps, but breaking, I would also, I would also love to hear how opening a restaurant today in Nashville is different than it was how, how many years ago? 12, 10 years ago? Yeah, when I mean, you opened R- Rolf, Rolf is 11. a little over 10. Yeah, because um, it's such a different yeah, Nashville. Focus five. Um, so I don't know yet. Yeah. And it's still, it's still, you, you know, we're still a good bit out on this yeah. next thing. So you're not at that place yet where yeah. you have to I mean, make those to be honest, decisions. like I would have preferred nobody that wasn't announced. Oh really? That yeah. wasn't your decision? No, it's kind of a mm. thing that people do to try and move real estate. Right. Totally understand. Um, so, which I respect the hustle um, but no, I but think not really, well, yeah, they wanted to say more and I, I was able to like help cu- like quiet it down. I'll say that it's just so, like, it's very small. Mm-hmm. It's much smaller than anything we've done before. Is which, it something that you have a specific concept in mind? Or are you still kind of working through those? No, ideas? I have, a, it, I have, I have it all kind of mapped out of my brain. Um, and we're deep in the design right now. Um, and a really close friend who's a talented designer is, is working on it um and i'm just i'm excited it's very it's a little more personal not that any actually i don't know it's a little more um like selfish i think you know it's just something that i've been experiencing a lot lately in my travel um and so i want to like kind of create this space um, and it's going to be a little more flexible and less rigid than what we've done before. Nice. Let's give us some room to like evolve. All right. So here's where I feel like we're at now. We've learned a little about your past. Mm-hmm. We know where you're, you're from growing up cooking kind of where you're at. What I'm gathering so far as I get to know you and I am going to finish that thought right after these words from our sponsors. We are supported by Robbins Insurance, an independent insurance agency known for providing customized insurance policies, sound guidance, and attentive service. Robbins is also known for delivering exceptional coverage to Nashville's restaurants and bars. Whether it's a fryer fire that sets off the sprinkler system and leaves your restaurant sopping wet on a busy Saturday night, or it's a -a once-in-a-decade tornado that cuts off your electricity and subsequently spoils all the food in your walk-in, Robbins has seen it all. And they know how to create policies that will get your business back on its feet as quickly as possible in the event a disaster strikes. Look, when it comes to insuring a restaurant, bar, brewery, bakery, grocery store, hotel, or whatever, you need someone who knows the industry, who understands your business, and who will create a policy that protects your space, your staff, and your concept. That's Robbins. Visit Robbins' website at robbinsins.com. That's R-O-B-I-N-S ins.com to request your insurance consultation. Once again, that's robbinsins.com. When you hear that sound, it's probably too late. You need a guy. 
I want to be your guy. I'm Kevin with Corson Fire and Security, and I'm a restaurant territory account manager. Do you know who's doing your inspections at your restaurant? Please reach out to me at 615-974-2932, and I'll be glad to come out and take a quick look and look at all your fire safety inspection needs. If you're building a new restaurant, we can help with that too. As far as kitchen suppression, fire extinguishers, emergency lights, we do it all. One stop, one shop. Call Kevin at 615-974-2932. Let me be your guy, Nashville. Hey, this is Jason Ellis with Nashville Super Source. We're so proud to be a sponsor for Nashville Restaurant Radio. We would love the opportunity to discuss your chemical and dish machine program with you. If you have any needs or any questions about your current program, opening a new restaurant, or just need a double set of eyes on that, we'd love the opportunity to help you with that. My number is 770-337-1143. We don't do any contracts, no minimums, weekly service to make sure that all your equipment is functioning properly. Make sure you have everything that you need. Again, my name is Jason Ellis, 770-337-1143. Is it when you run out, you open a restaurant, There's it's a business and there's a business plan you have to put together and there's obviously profits, there's a P&L, there's all the things you got to do. Course. But this seems more spiritual to me. Like what you're doing isn't a, I'm going to make this amount of profit this day, this day, this day. We got to run full hands in, full hands out. Like you're not, like what you're doing is I'm taking what I know and it, it's like a spiritual thing for you, the restaurant and what the concept is and how you're doing it and what the guest is experiencing is, it feels different. To I don't me know if spiritual is the word. I think the thing is cultural is cultural. what I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, at least, you know, in my head when I, so talking about, you know, the moving from Europe to the U S like the food was a big part of it, but the culture of eating was a really big influence on me because it was the way the restaurants feel, the conviviality of it, the accessibility, uh, which is more difficult now than ever. But um, so it's, you know, I, it's important to me that have to have restaurants that feel a little more like they bring a culture and perspective than it is to just say like, I'm going to be the first one to bring X concept to market because I think we're going to crush it. But at the same that time, I sense. mean, it's a balance. It's, you have to think about like, if we're going to build, I want to build a restaurant that makes sense now. It made sense 20 years ago, or it makes sense 20 years from now. And so the men, yeah. And the mental reference points domestically are like Zuni cafe, you know, or Gramercy tavern. And like these institutions that I still yearn to eat at personally that have aged so well and that are cooking, you know, genuine soulful food. Um, that feels in time all the time. And I think that's like, you know, if in 20, 30 years from now, if like I can look back at Rolf and feel like, okay, that might be what one of those restaurants would look like if it had opened in this space and time, you know, I think that that's like a huge goal for me. I love that. Yeah, you guys definitely have um, evolved a lot and, and updated throughout the throughout your tenure run. Um, and did you guys just recently renovate the restaurant? Did I see that? Yeah, yeah, we're always like tinkering with things. But yeah, Rolf, uh, <laughs> we did a major dining room renovation in the beginning of 2020. 
which nobody really saw until we reopened. Mm. And it took until like three months ago to fix like the last tiny little electrical Oof. thing. Um, but yeah, we did, we've, you know, renovated the dining room. We just renovated the bathrooms. We're about to redo the kitchen and it, you know, it's 10 years old. Um, and it's a busy restaurant and things, you know, get destroyed. Oh yeah. And the maintenance is important. And also as you like s- stay in a place a lot and live and breathe in it, you know, you start to realize things about it and how can we improve it? And I think that's a constant part of it. I think, you know, you look at European restaurants and chefs, they're always like reinventing their kitchens and reinvesting or, you know, it's not like we're trying to be Noma or anything and open a whole new location. It's just like keeping our eye on things and not letting it fade, you know. And uh, I think that's really important. It's really important for us who are like breathing life into it to feel good about the place we're in and not that something's breaking all the time or that it's loud yeah, no, or that, whatever. And so from a, like, you know, I've had people who are very financially motivated. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you doing all these things? Like you can, that's all profits that you're just putting into the business for no reason. I'm like, no, it's not. It's the opposite. To me, it's just reinvesting in the long-term viability and sustainability of what we're doing. Yeah, Absolutely. What, uh, you know, when you think about kind of what's next for dining in Nashville, whether it's new restaurants that are opening here, what you're thinking about with your new concept, or even kind of the next direction for Folk and Rolf and Daughters, what what do you see over the next few years? That's a good question. Um, you know, I generally think there's kind of two directions. I think small, independent things are going to get smaller, you know, um, and we're seeing that right now in real time because of labor challenges, because the startup costs, because the square foot cost to build out a restaurant. And we've all been kind of running these fundamentally unsustainable casual fine dining concepts that in in today's, you know, expectations from workers and inflation and and business and all the things just don't make sense anymore. Right. We try, we all tried, (laughs) but we've all had to make those changes. Right. Exactly. And so I think that's the seems to be the most viable direction for small independent businesses. And then you're going to see more of the big box, you know, the like big partnerships with developers, the big restaurants, those coming from outside markets, local groups doing that, um, you know, and that will continue to grow. What do you think about that? Do you think that's good for Nashville to have these kind of, you know, bigger, large restaurant group concepts coming to town or, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's fine. Um, and, you know, some of it, it, it depends on the space and each one is different. You know, if it's one where they have a good work culture and they are actually teaching people and like improving the skill set of the people who work in the restaurant to make them professionals, it's fantastic, right? Because that's better for all of us because people aren't just going to stay in one spot and that helps to elevate the like standard with which we operate um, and our overall service and food standards in the town. But I don't know. I mean, like how many places can you have? Yeah. That's the, that's the big question. And, you know, um, going to places and, you know, it's like looking at a menu 
I don't, and I don't go to those spots too much because I'm just like not that interested. For the most part, there's some that I do like. Um, like big box places? Yeah, the bigger box places. Um, but, you know, you can go read a menu and you're like, oh, you're claiming this thing's this and it's not. Like, I just know oh, it's yeah. not. What's an example of that? Oh, I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> Come on. Name I, names. I did see. Okay, I'm just going to tell a scenario. <laughs> okay, good. Hypothetically. What do, have you guys heard of uh, Cumberland River Crawfish? What? <laughs> No. I don't know. Apparently, wait, that's a thing. Wait, really? It's, it's I saw it on a menu. Apparently, that's a thing. Is that a thing? Does anybody know about Cumberland River crawfish? I mean, I guess there are probably technically a type of crawfish around the river because I used to see crawfish in central Alabama growing up in, like, ditches. Totally. It was a crawfish. Like, it would rain, and there would be a crawfish in the ditch. I don't know if I would eat Cumberland River crawfish. Yes, I don't, I don't know, know. If that's a thing I would want to They can hit, a, hit in us body. in the comments and let us and know are they, if anybody and are knows they, about the farming operation. Of, are they being harvested at such a rate that we can put them on menus? And who's doing the harvesting? I think he's saying no. Okay. <laughs> he's I saying, just don't know. Cumberland River crawfish. Right, you got to tell me off air. I know, that, I know that Maypop water <laughs> gets its water from the Cumberland River. They filter it like 50 Do they really? Times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Maypop water is from the Cumberland Does River. Does our water come from the Cumberland? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's why it's that would make sense. Cumberland right? Punch. <laughs> oh. the, would you like Pellegrino, Panna, or Cumberland Punch? Oh, I've never right. heard that. You never heard Cumberland Punch? No. Oh, it sounds very Cumberland appetizing. Seltzer with the Soda Stream. Yeah, mm. Cumberland Seltzer. Mm. Either Delicious. way, yeah, it's yeah, wonderful. Delicious. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go back a little bit to 2012. Okay, late 2012. You're opening Rolf and Daughters. Mm-hmm. Did you and your wildest dreams expect what was going to happen with Rolf and Daughters, with the accolades? You're opening a restaurant. You're, you, want, you have these aspirations. I want to do things right. I want to make this food that means so much to me. I want to use these local farmers. And I want to use the best of what I can uh, you know, respectfully create. You open the doors, and then you just get hit. Then the first two years, Bon Appetit, I think, maybe top three best new restaurants of 2013. That's a pretty big accolade. Then right. all yeah, of a huge. sudden, you're not just opening this restaurant. You're, did your whole life just shift at that point? What did you think about that? Um, well, the f- just to go to the opening in the first like four, five, I don't know. It's a bit of a blackout period when you open a restaurant. Yeah. Right, where you work a lot and the memory gets a little hazy. But I think, you know, in the first four to six months, I definitely questioned whether or not I was doing the right thing because, you know, and, and we, when, when I opened, like, I intentionally made the pastas, like, cheaper than they should have been because I just didn't think people put the same value into it and we had to, like, build some trust. Um, but you know, you get the comments. It's like, we charge for bread. It's like, well, we bake it. Well, you're one of the first people to do that. Right. Yeah. Because you know, if you've worked at enough restaurants, you've seen bread in the trash all day, all day. And it's just baked into the cost of everything else. So like, why not not do that and just charge for it? If you want bread, just pay for it. And the whole attack on carbs. I mean, like that's the thing. Green Hills Grill, we don't do bread. And people are like, why don't you do bread? And I go, because it costs $39,000 a year. For bread, and most of it gets put in the trash can. Right. And I don't, I mean, if you want it, we'll get you some bread. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. So 
you know, people would complain about that or people would order a pasta and they'd want, they're like, why can't I pick my protein and Alfredo or marinara or pesto? Al- Alfredo was a really big thing in Nashville for a while because we moved here around the time that you were, yeah. you moved here and were opening and I remember that was a, a big thing, Alfredo. Everybody wants Alfredo. Well, they all, uh, the real Italian, there's no real Italian place in Nashville. I mean, you had Mario's back in the day, but I mean, that's not, people know the Olive Garden. Right. That's what people know. They know the Olive Garden, and maybe Amerigo for some, you know, for other people, but that was a similar thing. Chicken Marguerite, you know, do you want scallion cream sauce or tomato sauce with your angel hair and chicken? It's a simple thing. So what you're doing is, Hey, this isn't those places. So you're you second guess that a little bit. You saying? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I think you know, strategically when we open, we I didn't like I had aspirations to evolve the restaurant, but knew that we had to come in, especially as an outsider who'd only been in town for like a year and a half, that we needed to be a little more approachable, and people had to come in and you know be able to understand without it feeling too foreign. I think the, you know, the analogy was like, we have to get people to trust us and then we can hold their hand and walk them to our side of the street that we want to be on. Um, and that's been a really long journey, but yeah, I mean, in the first six or so months, we, we got a lot of that pushback and when you're working, you know, whatever you get at nine in the morning and you're leaving at one, pouring yourself into a restaurant, um, you know, that's, it's tough. Um, but then, you know, all of the craziness happened and I think, you know, to your question, like it, it changed, but it just got insanely busy and I was, you know, personally too busy to like my shit didn't change at all. You know, my life didn't, you know, just worked a lot, um, and invested the time in building the systems and you know, evolving the restaurant and the team to get to the point where we are today. Um, do you listen to critics? So in those times, uh, do you, how do you, do you read Yelp reviews? Do you give a shit about any of that stuff? Not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just curious because yeah, some people I, really do. And some people just like, ah, you know what? That's not my thing. The only thing we look at is like the resi or t- whatever system we we're using at the time. We look at those reviews cause they're internally facing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because of that, it's a more honest assessment. Um, And we have all the information associated with it. Like you can see what table, what time, you know, so there's transparency for us and looking back. Yeah. Um, So we'll look at those once a month, but it's not. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like maddening to do that. And um, in the like, era of anonymous commenting you know and people saying whatever they want whenever they want like you just have to tune it out i think if you have a genuine idea and you're looking for a cultural thing and your 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 leaders are going to lead they're going to blaze the trail and they're going to introduce people to new things and if you my brother famously says like if you ask the general population people would choose velveta i like a triple cream brie or you know whatever it's like right the, the masses are going to use white cheese dip versus something that is much more. And so when you look at these Yelp reviews, it's pretty much a, the masses who went there think this. And it's like, but that's not my, I'm going to continue forging ahead. And if people want to come enjoy this culinary experience versus Olive Garden, 
this is what I'm doing and I can't listen to that. Right. I do have, I I could share one story that kind of relates to this world. Please do. Um, Early on in folk in the first few months, we started getting phone calls of, from angry folks and we're trying to figure, you know, there we get a phone call, our host answers it, and it's like, How dare you disrespect the police? <laughs> it's very, you know, like, how dare you? How dare you? We're like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> They're like, you guys booted uniformed officers from your restaurant because they had guns on them. We're like, what what? Nobody, you know, this hasn't happened. Nothing like we this. Did, has we did happened. what? You know, it's like, all right, that's weird. We got two, you know, one call one night, a message the next day and another call. And then we started getting comments on Instagram. And I'm like, what is, what is happening right now? So I started like. like we're getting canceled. Like, I'm like, all right, <laughs> where are we? Is someone trying to, you know, cancel us for this thing? So I had a, it was a Sunday and uh, I'm like, all right, I got a, I got an hour. I'm going to sit in the office and try to figure this out. So we, um, you know, I'm clicking on all the names on everybody has commented. And then I'm trying to open them up in Facebook. And I'm cross-referencing. And I get into Facebook. And I go, you know, I find a thread where someone wrote that, you know, I guess, Uniformed officers came into the restaurant to try and eat, but we told them they couldn't because they had firearms on them. And there was a massive comment thread with it. And so I, you know, like tracked that to someone else's post. And we, I mess, we messaged the woman who posted it and was like, hey, can we call you? What's going on? You know, like called her. She told us that she'd heard from a friend who has a friend who was, you know, who knows a police officer who said this happened. And so, you know, we called her and said, you know, we. And actually, I forgot this part. We we called like the sergeant who oversees the precinct for our area. And, like, invited him in for a coffee and, like, you know, pastry during the day just to, like, ask him, like, had he heard any of this? And, like, what was going on? And we were concerned about it. And he's like, no, you know, but I'll keep my ear to the ground. And if I hear the ru- anything pop up, we'll shut it down. I also got a call from, uh, what is the, it's like an organization that's, like, tangential to the police officers it's almost like their the union fraternal order of police fraternal order of police yeah. they're like head of the fraternal order of police for nashville like reached out to me directly to talk about this and i was and i'm like hey we are bewildered about what's going on right now you yeah, know like, this didn't happen this didn't happen i was like you know and i explained to him I'm like every time we've had anything going there was a neighborhood party and it was cold. We we brought the officers that were working at this event. We brought them hot coffee. You know, like, I, we don't know what's happening. And he's like, okay, well, I'll help dispel the rumors. And uh, anyway, so we got what we think are our, our patient zero in this scenario. 
um, called her directly and said, hey, we're the restaurant that you've been making accusations about. And I, we just want to let, we just want to ask where you heard it and like what you think happened because we have, we're totally lost right now. Um, and she apologized profusely Did and went on, up? went on Facebook. She said, you know, she said she genuinely heard this rumor, went on to everywhere that she'd posted and wrote like, Hey, I got some bad Intel. That's so bizarre. And it was, it was like, it took a week from start to finish to kind of like get it all <laughs> sorted. But that's like, you know, how twisted things can get in a moment in our modern world, right? Yeah. It's a real like metaphor for like all the other things. It's a small version of like so many things that are going on. But, um, you know, you add that into the like challenge and the chaos wrangling that you do as someone who owns and operates a restaurant. There's so much dumb shit that you have to deal with as, as a small business owner. And then to have something like extra dumb yeah. like that, like, Oh great. Now I get to deal with this. Well, especially when every single day, all you do is just serve people. I mean, that's right. what we do, right? That's, that's like what try to we be a do. part we, of a community. We serve people and that's, it's not a, that to have somebody just drum something like that up. I mean, that's your reputation. That's everything right. about, you and its antithesis of what you would do it's like what the what the fuck man have you guys heard about these um the like google review hostage situation i've heard a little bit about it yeah yeah. it, it happened to a friend of mine in chicago where um there's these people that i believe are overseas that start writing one star google reviews and will write 10 one different people will write one star google reviews of your business and then email you and say hey we're going to have 10 different people a day writing these one-star reviews until you send us $500 in Amazon gift cards or something along these lines. And Google famously is, there's not a person at Google that you can talk to for your business page ever. Like no humans. It's like all Mm. AI now. So anyway. Yeah. More dumb shit. I'm going to edit that part out when I do, because I don't want anybody to get that idea. I don't want anybody to learn. (laughs) Anybody that's like, fuck, that's a good idea. Let's oh, like God. I don't I didn't want people to know that that could possibly even be a thing because it's just another thing. I mean, the, this job is is crazy. I mean, the things you just want to serve people, you want to create this food, you want to create these experiences, and then it's just all this stuff. Yeah, but I think there's a certain part of all of us that are like in it and fully in it that enjoys the dance and the curveballs and the unexpected. Um. On occasion. On occasion. I I do feel like, and I don't know if you ever feel this as well, I I do feel like it's gotten, it's, some of it has shifted from dumb to frightening in some cases. Um, You know, we recently hosted an event that I won't speak about it too publicly, but it's a a local organization that we've supported for a long time. And we're hosting an event at Nikki's and we had to consider canceling the event because of some legitimate security threats and, you know, around possibly hosting this event at the restaurant and, you know, to live in a world where I'm like, Hey, I've always, you know, stood up for what I think is right and supported people and organizations that I think are the right thing to do. And now we have to worry about, Hey, I can't have just a nice cocktail party for a group. I have to worry that some cuckoo is going to show up, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a thing. It's, It's sad. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to like, no, that's drop the energy with that. But well, I no. just so let's let's I'm gonna take it back to my initial question. 
And you kind of answered it, but we're where gonna, are we? Yeah, no. <laughs> I, well, no. I mean, I think that you we started Rolf and Daughters. You started Rolf and Daughters, and it gets we kind of got off intention of what is it when you the super stardom, you know, of where you're at today. And I would consider you a superstar. Do you consider yourself a superstar? Absolutely not. No. I, yeah, I mean, I think I'm less. I'm not. You know, it takes a certain type of character to be that chef. You know, that's like very public facing and I'm, I'm personally not interested in that. No, like it feels uncomfortable to me. Um, and you know, I've done some things because like they seemed interesting or whatever. Um, but I'm not chasing that part. Um, yeah, I think it's really more about like the process of all of it, you know, the process of cooking the process of like mentoring a team and uh, building things and learning from them and evolving, you know, I think that's the journey and uh, that's the, that's the juice for me. Um, You know, and, and I think, yeah, I mean, we've been there for 10 years and like things have kind of, you know, it's like we've hit this really good balance and level. We're very fortunate to consistently be busy, you know, and I'm very thankful for that. And um, it's also a lot of hard work that, like, we are constantly fighting to be consistent. I think that's the, you know, it's the hardest thing for us to do in our industry, um, especially given recent times. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, like, happy and thankful for all of that. But I'm really, yeah, like, it's not about me. It's about an idea and a collective like pushing for it. I love that. We we have about 10 minutes left. Can I can we just do like a couple rapid fire just like fun you dumb the, I questions? I was going to ask you that. I was like, I want to do wrap. 10 minutes of rapid fire questions. Okay. Go ahead. You start. We'll do alternate. All right. What's your favorite movie? Well, you took mine. Oh. Sorry, God. I got more. Train spotting. Train spotting. All right. I don't know if that's true, but I like it. Favorite comedy? <laughs> like, that's a drama. Like, what about like like stupid? Like, if you're watching Zoolander, funny, Zoolander, <sighs> love. That's Great. a good one. Great movie. Very quotable. Very. Quotable. What is the best concert you've ever been to? Wow, that's tough. Are you a concert guy? Do you like? Yeah, to go to shows? I go to shows. Um, you know, I saw Beastie Boys and the Goats in 1994 in Brussels. And maybe smoked spliffs with my history teacher. It was like the last week of school. <laughs> like that was very memorable. That, well, that's that was some, very memorable. I, th- I saw you two at the Georgia Dome in Public Enemy open form in 92. Whoa. At third row center, like right in front of the Amazing. stage. And my dad got these random tickets. I got to go see that. And that was, I mean, epic 92 Public Enemy. I, I was more excited about Public Enemy than I was you two by far. Sure. But you two. It's an interesting combination. Off. Zoo TV tour. Yeah, yeah, I remember it was, that. It was insane. George Bush was president then. Okay, the mustache. Uh huh. Is this something you've all always had? I mean, it's just the, like, all the fa- it's the only facial hair I can really grow. Can so you shave it at there. this point if you if you wanted to? Or is I, it, I don't is know it part that of I, your persona now. It's just who I I wouldn't. I've done it like once in a, a few years ago, and I didn't recognize myself. And I. Just it felt, is weird, right? It just felt fucking weird. My dad had a mustache my whole life growing up. And one day he shaved it and me and my brother freaked out and we couldn't look at him for a week. Yeah. But if you're going to go incognito, you know, 
You've got you've got that. If you're like, I want to go to this restaurant, but I don't want people to know who I am. Just shave the mustache. You'll be set. All right. He's like, yeah, I don't need to have that. Problem. All right. What is your uh, what's your favorite food guilty pleasure? Like junk food or fast food or just like something dumb you love to eat? I mean, chips, some sort of. I mean, I'm a sucker for a jalapeno chip. Mm. Like a kettle, like a jalapeno kettle chip. Yeah, jalapeno kettle. And it's Vicky's. Like a Dorito. Mm. Like whatever mega blasted flavor version of a Dorito. <laughs> I, I, I'll i say like for a second, I have a friend who turned me on to this. Kroger. I don't drink soda at all, but Kroger, uh, Fizco brand. Uh, if you're listening, like let's do this again. They stopped doing it, but they were making like soda flavored seltzers. And there was one that tasted just like Dr. Pepper. Ooh. Like you would crack oh, it and smell it. I know what it, you're talking about. And it smelled like a Dr. Pepper, but yes. it was just water. And I could drink so many of that. They were yeah. so good. Your wife doesn't count in this. Who's your best friend? Who do you hang with? Who's like your 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 go-to? You you, you get arrested tonight. Who are you calling? Uh, my friend Cheyenne, who's an attorney. <laughs> yeah, calling her first. Well, um, okay. No, I mean, I'm really, I have a really close friend, Bob. I was just at his house in Fairview on Sunday. Um, I don't know. I have, I have a lot Do you lot hang of, with mostly chefs? No. Or do you hang with almost no chefs? Mostly none, except for our team. Um, I find that, like, I don't want to talk too much about the industry or what I'm doing when I'm not working. So I like to have, I think, like... The friends that I, I'm really close with are all, you know, creative in their own industry and have, like, a lot of them have their own businesses and, you know, go through some of the sim- some similar parallel cha- challenges to, like, what I have. And, you know, I like to be able to talk to those people and, like, learn from what they're doing uh, and share. But I sometimes feel like it just gets so – it just gets to be too much. And I like to have that like separation. I get that. That's like I people are always like, "Oh, do you watch this show? This show, like the Food Network shows and all this." I'm like, "Never, never, ever, ever." Well, that's a good next question. Do you watch any trash TV? Do you watch any like like I love The Bachelor, Below Deck. <gasps> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's lit. It's Below lit. Deck. You know, I love to watch Below Deck and think about in a different life if I was in my 20s and I had known that this was an option. I would absolutely be trying to get a job on a yacht. Yeah, it's just it's just got that perfect mix of like scripted reality, chaos, mm-hmm. the guests. Like, it's a real you know. It's like when you just want to turn your brain off. It's a it's a great go to. Well, we just had Will Cadera on the show last month, and he said what he does, his alone time, his personal time, is he watches, uh, he's watching Outer Banks. He goes, I just turn on trash TV. I think it's like a soap opera. And it just lets my brain turn off. Right. I play solitaire on my phone. Or, you know, just, and I'll watch TV, but I just, I'm like doing something with my brain repetitively. Sure. Just moving cards over and over, and I can, and then I just, and I, and I always wake up with my phone on my chest. I'm like, oh, put it away. And <laughs> it's I, like meditation for ADD. It's exactly what it is. I'm doing like two things at one time. It's crazy. All right, Caroline, you got another one? Oh, no. Go go ahead. Kitchen track. Like favorite band. You said your favorite concert. What do you listen to in the kitchen? Do you have like like Pearl Jam for me is my all-time like that's my band. 
I mean, it's constantly Who's, it's constantly changing. Um, you know, uh, like usually when I listen to music, it's when we're rolling pasta, and it ranges from like hip hop, rap music, so currency or the new Larry June album. Like those are things. Both both those albums were produced by Alchemist. I'm really into those. It's a lot of like new jazz that's getting that I listen to, like, all coming out of the UK. Um, and I listen, I have like two radio shows that I listen to religiously every week on BBC radio six, um, and Nashville restaurant. Oh, damn it. What show, what shows? Uh, <laughs> Giles Peterson worldwide. I've listened to it for like 20 years. It's a three hour show. I learned a ton about music through it and, uh, Benji B and those are like two things and I'll play them. Everybody like thinks I'm insane. Cause they're like. BBC news announcer comes on every hour, like, and now at 10 Downing street, you know, and it's, it's great though. Nice. What's one thing that America can learn from Europe? We're going to take one more break to hear a final word from our sponsors. What chefs want story is incredibly unique. The owner Ron Trenier met with a bunch of chefs in Louisville back in the early two thousands and asked them one simple question. What do you want? And the chefs, they responded emphatically. We want deliveries on Sunday. We want to be able to split any item that you sell. We want a frictionless experience where we feel like we're being served. And so you know what he did? Something crazy. He did just that. So What Chefs Want is not only a company that's delivering fresh produce, fresh seafood, fresh custom cut meats, specialty items, dairy, gourmet, all of that seven days a week. They also offer 24 seven customer support. You wanna call, you wanna text, you wanna email, you can talk to somebody 24 seven. Get your delivery seven days a week in an amazing selection of products. That is what chefs want. So if you ever wonder why do they call it that? That's your reason. Check them out at whatchefswant.com. Hey guys, we are supported by Sharpier's Bakery, and we've been supported by Sharpier's Bakery for the last year, and I tell you, I couldn't be more proud of this partnership. Guys, they're a locally owned and operated bakery right here in Nashville for the last 36 years. Yes, they deliver fresh baked bread daily to your restaurant's back door, and man, is it good. You want to know what kind of bread they make? Go check them out at sharpiesbakery.com. That's C-H-A-R-P-I-E-R-S bakery.com. So they have over 200 types of bread. And if you're wondering, well, hey, look, it's a special recipe that I like to use that, you know, we bake it in our house and it's just, it's a kind of a pain, but we, we like to do it. They can take your recipe and make that bread for you without any of the hassle, the mess, the labor. They'll just deliver right to your door every single day. It is freshly baked. They love to give you a tour of their facility. Give Erin Moso a call. Her number is 615-319-6453. You should do it now. What's one thing that America can learn from Europe? How to drive. Yeah, that was... <laughs> wow, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. I think, like, the really specific to our world... Um, is that, you know, in Europe, they're not just chasing trends with food and beverage. You know, it's there, there are trends, but, you know, people really value and appreciate tradition and like just a good restaurant, you know? And I think 
in our like modern, you know, social media affected brains, like we're always looking for the new shiny light, like a moth. And so, you know, we lose appreciation for um, institutions that are of value. Is there a, uh, a food or a type of restaurant that Nashville doesn't have that you think we could really use? Like for me, that answer is always going to be a really just great 100 menu item Jewish deli. Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. That would be amazing. Um, sushi, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have like, I mean, it's always very expensive, but like real. Real sushi. You know, someone who has spent their life committed to this like, what? singular act. That's what I always say about Nashville too. It's the, it's not that we can't get the product here. It's that nobody knows how to cut fish. Like we don't have people who know how to cut fish. I mean, there's, of course, you know, if you go to Locust or I haven't been to Kisser yet, but I don't know if they're doing raw stuff. Like just like an everyday, like I can order sushi delivery for dinner type of yeah place. Yeah. I mean, and I'm even, you know, those, I mean, both those places are incredible. I love Locust. and uh, But I'm not getting Postmates of Locust. Right. <laughs> but I, I'm even thinking about, like, okay, it's a counter. And yeah. it's just, like, you know, submission to whatever it is that day. Like, that's my – I'm kind of over tasting menus. Like, I don't really – you know, I travel and eat a lot. But I go for, you know, places that are a little more, like, I don't know, simplified. Mm-hmm. Um and I just, like, I've become bored. It's like if I see another mini tartlet, <laughs> you know, at another restaurant as a part of the seven, like, small bite, you know, one biters that you're going to get. It's just, like, it gets kind of boring and it's all the same. So it's, like, looking for things that are soulful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and, like, great Chinese food. Mm. And Szechuan, like, specifically. Yeah. It's like crave Szechuan. Yeah, soup for me, soup dumplings. I'd love a place oh, where I yeah. can just go anytime and get a soup dumpling. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Can we get Din Tai Fung to open up here? That'd we could try. That this, would be. That would be a plea right there. Yeah. If you're listening. If a, if a legit here. soup dumpling place opened here, it would be packed all the time. Philip Krajic, is this what you thought it was going to be? This is great. Thank is it fun? So much. Did you have a good time? Super fun. Thank you so much for coming in here. We do. We have one final thing, and this is a super easy thing. It is called the Gordon Food Service Final Thought. So you get to take us out. We do this whole thing. We talk whatever it is. This is your turn to say whatever you want. It could you could say nib high football rules. I don't care. Mm-hmm. From Billy Madison, I think that's from Billy Madison. But yep. whatever you want to say, as long as you want to say it, you get to say the final word of the episode. Go. I feel a lot of pressure right now on this. Heat's on. Um, If I wasn't cooking, I'd be a professional tennis player. It's the one bit of information we didn't get out of the episode. He said that that's the thing you didn't mind out of this interview. It's it's hyperbole, but anyway. (laughs) If I wasn't doing this, you'd be a tennis player. All right. Well, I'll take that as a good final thought. Thank you. That's what I said. Whatever you want to say. Yeah, I had no, yeah, I got nothing. You said great. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you all so much. And you guys, if you're out there, go uh, go eat at Rolf and Daughters. It's at 700 Taylor Street. And then you should go eat at Folk. I don't know the address to Folk. 823 Meridian. 823 Meridian. It's in East Nashville. In East Nashville, right next to my favorite bar, which is Wilburn Street Tavern, owned by Teresa Mason. It's a great bar. 
I, so good. I told you this story, but I, I, this is going to take 12 seconds. I ate at Folk was the first dinner that I went out with my wife after I got sober. After the whole thing, and I was scared to death. I didn't think I could go out to eat at a place and not order alcohol. It was just the first time we went out to like a nice restaurant. And your server went over the entire menu and I explained to them that I hadn't been, that I'm immediately sober, this and that. And the kindness and the care and everything about that meal, I will remember for the rest of my life. The knowledge that server had of the menu, the knowledge she had of where everything came from and the care that came with bringing every single plate was an inspiration to me operating my own restaurants, just in how this is how it is done. This is what a real professional does. And I wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. We, I'm just overly blessed to have the best team. It, it really was. Um, okay, there it is, Philip Krajic. Thank Krajic. you. Thank you so much. So grateful for Chef Philip Krajic to come in studio and talk to us. That was such a, a fun conversation, and I uh, hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you had a wonderful time this weekend with all of the excitement. Hopefully, you had great guests, and you made a whole bunch of money. That will be our goal, and I hope that you are all ready for Mother's Day because it is coming up. This is going to be a big one, and um, I'm, ex- uh, I'm, I'm tired, so I'm going to put this episode out. Hope you guys are being safe out there. Love you guys. Bye.